Seraphim. Welcome to episode 20 of The Voice of Seraphim, recorded on Saturday, April 9th, 2011. The Voice of Seraphim is your source for all the news and information related to magic online in the Seraphim clan. Seraphim hosts a weekly tournament, monthly leagues, and regularly scheduled events, including a cube draft. We use voice chat and have an active forum at seraphimclan.org where you can find out more about us. In today's episode of The Voice of Seraphim, we'll be discussing the recent Chromatic Singleton Tournament, this month's Clone Magic League, a cube draft video, and upcoming events. This week, Eldritch Song and I are joined by Avenged, Fracture, and Dark Worship to discuss recent posts on the forum, including the Build Your Own set that Avenged started and includes recent contributions by Fracture. In Magic News, we discuss the recent new Phyrexia spoilers and a sneak peek at the upcoming Commander decks. Before we get started, we wanted to acknowledge a recent sudden loss to the magic community. April 2nd, 2011, Eric Freiberg passed away. You may know Eric as Hamtastic on PureMTGO.com. His recent contributions to the Magic community include the state of the program on PureMTGO, Freed from the Real on MTGCast. Our condolences go out to his closest friends and family. Out of gratitude for his contribution to the Magic community, Seraphim would like to observe a moment of silence. Rest in peace, Eric.
there, so... He's up in the conference room doing whatever the hell he does in there every time. Reading papers and, and, and throwing out their work. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. Did you say filling out paperwork? Yeah, it's a conference room, dude. It's like, it's like his office. <laughs> he's, got, he's, you know, he's got his little, he's got his chair, and he's got his sofa, and then he's got the, um, the, the, the painting of himself in the wall. <laughs> this is episode 20 of The Voice of Seraphim. Eldritch Song will be here in just a second. Well, we're going to talk about this Commander decks. Those actually look pretty cool. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about, actually. I'd like to see, actually, the cards that they created just for those. See, if you scroll down to the bottom Commander deck, you can't tell what the Commander is, but the Death Touch and your draw step, it's got to be pretty good if it's got those on it. Yeah, that'll be cool. I assume they're releasing it online. They actually said that not only are they going to be releasing them online, but part of this whole update that they're working on is to improve the multiplayer portion of the game somehow. It's about time. I don't know. Let's see. The recommended retail price is thirty bucks. Not too bad. If I felt inclined, I'd buy a couple of a couple different ones and try to teach my friends how to play again. Hello, hello. Hey. Hey, song. Welcome. I'm here on time. Yep. You're joining us for episode 20 of The Voice of Sarah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get the show on the road, because we got a lot to talk about. How about a round of introductions? My name is Dykax. I'm your host. Oh, yeah. This is Eldrick Song. I happen to Sarah for me, your co-host. You mean with Dark Worship. This is Fracture. Let's start with Seraphim Events. The uh, Clone Magic League is coming to a close. Song, song. Not exactly going to close yet. There's still one week left before the uh, league actually ends, so we're in the very last league, so I guess in some ways it is going to close. We are going to be starting week four soon, and the rules for the next week are the phrases and in the darkness bind them. It's 60 card deck, a sideboard allowed, and it has to be two colors, and one of those colors has to be black. And the other stipulation is that it has to be at least 10, uh, 10 cards of each color. Aye. So the uh, clone magic rankings, are these uh, up to date? Not all the way. They're actually only covering the first two weeks. Ah. Uh, guess we don't need to AKA mention. AKA they'll be up to date by the time this goes to air. Guess we don't need to mention who's in first, but the Avenged is in second, and Easy Pickings is in third. Yeah, and there are also a few other things to be added to those rankings. Um, still have to add in the bonus points for those people that have been playing in the uh, clone magic tournaments each Sunday, and uh, I'll still add, you know, like Dark was saying, like add in the points for week three and then the final week, and whatever people do during that period will determine who's the winner. And uh, Matthew's magazine first. What does one get for winning the leagues? What is it, 30% of the, um, the, the entry fees? Yeah, that's exactly get Top five uh, get a portion of the entry fees that people pay to play in the league. So first place will get 30%, second place 20, third 10, and then fourth and fifth each get 5%. Wow, that's nice. Matthew's Meg must really pull in a uh, pretty good pot of money. Yeah, sometimes the pot is pretty big. Mostly it depends, and the pot gets bigger the more people that play. And this time around we've got a relatively small pot because of the fact that we've only got nine registered people in the league. Um, but sometimes we've had, you know, 20 people, and that turns out to be a pretty big payout for the winner. You're going to have to send him a 1099. I did my taxes today. 
Uh, that's beyond me. It's a reference I don't understand. Occasionally, we also have other prizes for the first place, but usually those are donated to the clan. Uh, like, for instance, for the Scarves of Mirrodin Block League, for first place, you got the tickets plus a Benzer uh, Planeswalker card. Sweet. So, I was trying to check out what the next League event is. Um, we do have another week left of Clan Magic, but uh, what is the next League? Well, the plan initially was to go straight from the Odyssey block to the Onslaught block, uh, but we did kind of shove in Clone Magic in there. Uh, so I am willing to take some suggestions on the uh, on the matter, but I was thinking just to go ahead and skip Onslaught block and go straight to playing Mirrodin Besiege as the next league because I just don't feel like maybe the older sets have been that popular with people playing the league and maybe they'd enjoy playing uh, with one of the newer sets again. Awesome. Yeah. We had a good turnout the last time we had Scars of Mirrodin, right? Yeah, actually one of our best turnouts, I think. Yeah. I'm so glad I came up with that idea. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it's the only good idea I've had this year, but um, or last year. You don't count the podcast as one of your good ideas. Oh, that's a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one. You don't, you don't, you don't count spending that money and getting that those certificates as a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> I don't know. Does the gift certificate cover what he spent? <laughs> it did. It did. You only had to spend fifty dollars to be put in the drawing. Yeah, so that was pretty nice. That was the highest price from MTGO traders, too. I was kind of skeptical when I got the email saying that I'd won, but all it asked for was my screen name so and password and address and PayPal. <laughs> but, yeah, I won the $300 prize, so if you have suggestions about how I should spend that, let me know. Father of Machines is coming. All right, and today was the Chromatic Singleton Tournament. Is that correct, or was it last night? Nope, it was today. Excellent. And who took home the prize in that tournament? Oh, the winner this time around was Sinzen. Beating out Iceman 1. What did Sinzen play? Uh, Sinzen was playing a black deck, mono black. He was in the Stygian Seraphim. And uh, using Iceman, he was using the same deck he uh, took last time to win the chromatically uh, colorless, flashing white deck. Mm-hmm. And there were quite, actually quite a few intense matches between uh, the top four overall. I think they all went to three games for the most part, at least the ones that uh, Sinzen was playing against. Cool. And I cannot see what the next upcoming tournament is. What will it be? I know it will be next Friday, April 15th at 7 p.m. The next tournament's going to be Scars of Mirrodin Block. That will be next Friday at 8 o'clock, Seraphim time. My most, my most uninterested format. I don't know. I think Block's pretty awesome. I enjoy Zenicar Block, but I don't know. I haven't been able to get into um, Scars Block yet. And you posted a new cube draft. Was that from this week? Um, it was just from this past Wednesday, and we actually had nine people in that cube. That was a very quite a good show out. And if I remember correctly, it was you that won, right, Avenge? Yeah, I won it. <laughs> yeah, I won it. Well, what did you play? I played um red blue control. Yeah, I thought it was a bit different for you. Like I noticed you're playing red. I'm like, oh, okay, that figures. And then you dropped a blue mana, and I'm like, huh, this is a bit different. It probably assumes I can only play one note. <laughs> what uh? What inspired you? The fact that there was amazing blue cards in the first like four picks. I mean, uh, I don't even exactly remember what I first picked. I think when there was a short temptation like in one of the early picks, and there was which I had to grab. There was a Morphling which I had to grab in the early picks, and then there was a Maloku the Cloud Emitter which I definitely had to grab in the early picks, and then I just and then the blue kind of started to fade away after a little while. After I done grabbed my the you know, best ones out of the bunch, so then 
all of a sudden, like, burn was just everywhere, like, and I just started picking it up, and then by the end of the time I finished, I had a ton of removal, and then my last game, it was basically just one, because I just, like, drew, drew into all my removal, and the opponent couldn't keep a creature on the board. Yeah, and your opponent in the last round of the Swiss was, uh, Joven. Yep, Joven. He was playing a mono fight, and, he, and his, his deck was, uh, his deck was something else. He had, he had apparently drafted every shadow creature in the, in the, in the Q pool. So, you know, you, there wasn't much blocking against him. That time was pretty fun, though, to actually have the full, well, actually more than a full draft for this one coming up. Yeah, I think you guys had nine people. Yep, which is like the most we can actually sustain right now, right? Which is, which is pretty good, pretty cool. Yep, we've had eight a few times. I think nine people one other time before this, so it's nice to be able to get on for the cube night and actually have consistently eight people at least to be there and hang out and play, play the cube with. Yeah, that's too bad. I work almost ever. Or actually, never mind. Wednesday nights have class, so... No soup for you, I guess. <laughs> what the hell is that from? Seinfeld. Uh, okay. Um, stepping back a bit, the Mirrodin Besieged League, will that be Scar's Block or just Mirrodin Besieged? Um, I think it's going to be Scar's Block, just because of the fact that I don't think there are, there are enough cards and uh, Mirrodin Besieged to really make it challenging enough for most people. Yeah. Will um, the new expansion be out by then? No, it won't. The next step's not going to hit online until, like, the end of May. Uh, May 30th. Uh, yeah, that's pretty close to the end of May. Um, does the uh, league start on Sunday or Monday? Uh, the league always starts on Monday. Thank you. And what kind of tournament is the next tournament? I know we had this conversation, like, three minutes ago, but... Scars of Mirrodin block. So the league, which begins on April 18th, Scars of Mirrodin. I'm all... That's when, uh... It doesn't actually start April 18th. That's when registration will open for the next league, and then it'll start a week after that. But it is Scar's Block, right? Yes, it is Scar's Block. Thank you so much for that clarification. And the league for that month will actually end uh, 22nd of May. So about a, what, like a bit more than a week before uh, uh, New Phyrexia is going to hit uh, Magic Online. Uh, so we'll have about another month of a different format, and then we'll come back to or revisit New Pyrexia after people have had a chance to uh, play it for a while and get some of the cards. Hey, Dark, what night was it we played in that daily event? That wasn't Wednesday? Was that Thursday? That was uh, Thursday night. Thursday. And did you end up going 3-1? Uh, nope, I dropped my last game. Well, I guess we won't talk about that then. Pasta was talking to me on uh, via chat. I mentioned you guys had done a team draft, Eldritch, but Camtasia crashed. Um, nothing so dramatic as that, actually. It was more that it was, it was Skype that was crashing, actually. Ah, but he said it went particularly well. Oh, yeah. That was an awesome draft. What did your deck end up looking like? It was half Infect and half Dinosaurs. So it was a green-black deck, and it was surprisingly awesome. We started drafting this thing, and just to mention, we went into an 8-4, so I figured it was going to be pretty tough, and we're just going through this thing and picking up. Uh, we couldn't really distinguish like where we wanted to go. Like The first three picks of the Mirrodin Besiege pack, we took um, the 2-4 Infect Widow. I'm not sure what the spider's name is, and I forget what it is now. Like Blight, Blight Widow. Widow. Yeah, Blight Widow. Uh, and so we were going that direction, and then suddenly just like the Infect uh, in pack 2 just completely dried up. There was absolutely nothing there at all. Uh, so we started grabbing big green monsters uh, and things like that. And uh, then pack three, since there was pretty much no infect in the Mirrodin Besiege pack that we just had already cut off, there was no infect in the second pack. It just, like, flew. Like, in the third pack, it was just full of it. So we just started grabbing infect there and just ended up with, like, this mismatch of infect creatures, like, really decent ones, and uh, big dinosaurs for late game. 
And uh, one of the bombs we had picked it up in the second pack. Uh, first pick, it was uh, Leash of the Tangle, the 8-8 guy that when he deals damage to an opponent, you can turn all your creatures, mean all your lands into 8-8 elementals. Nice. Did you ever fire that off? Not only did we fire it off, but it won our games twice. It was amazing. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It is honestly the most disgusting thing. Like I thought for sure we'd never stick it, we'd never see play. Exactly. It was, it really, exactly. I mean, it is incredibly expensive. And I just kept thinking someone was gonna like we'd play it and they'd like spread the signature, like doom or uh, go for the throat or something like that. But no, it stuck both times and it won the game both times. I think part of the beauty of this deck though was the fact that like early game we had a pretty strong effects. Like it would just be had the right kind of hand, we could win with poison uh, quite often. So actually, we did win with poison several times. Oh, but then again, like, they, they would spend, like, a lot of removal trying to get rid of our poison creatures, and then late game we'd have these big monsters just come out and just win the game for us. Uh, and it was actually quite amusing how that worked out. Like, no one could figure out what our deck was about, and they'd always spend so much time trying to kill our infect creatures, and then we'd just kill them with damage later on. I think, though, like, the, the funniest thing we did was uh, it happened in the, the finals, actually. Uh, the guy that we were playing against was playing some kind of white metalcraft build, and he had the, uh, the new angel. Uh, I'm not sure what the name is exactly, but it's the 4-4, and when it attacks, all, the, like, all your other attacking creatures get flying and lifeling. I had her in my uh, draft on Thursday. Victory's Herald. There you go. Yeah, Victory's Herald. So, yeah, that, that wrecked us game one. Some puppers, like, so the plan was we were going to bring in uh, an Azuri uh, Archers to act as, like, a blocker for that. Uh, but, um, like, mistakenly, I just clicked really fast without looking and brought in the Copperhorn Scout instead. Oops. And it's... <laughs> It actually turned out to be, like, the all-star of that game, surprisingly. I had it in the opening hand, turn one, uh, played it very first turn, the guy never removed it, and the thing was, like, I had, we drew, like, a bunch of Blight Widows, and also our Bellowing Tangleworm, so all of our green creatures were unblockable, yeah, and so we just kept attacking with everything, everything was unblockable, and they just untapped, it was like having Vigilance for all of your green creatures. Vigilance and Infect. Nice. Yep, it was unblockable, so it was nuts, the way that worked out. Uh, I don't think, <laughs> that doesn't mean I'm ever going to play Carverhorn Scout again, but that's the one game that paid <laughs> off. So yeah, we had this kind of, it looked horrible, it looked like a horrible deck, uh, but ended up winning the entire 8-4, so we were pretty happy about that. Carverhorn Scout's actually pretty good, like in Elves. Yeah, but we weren't playing Elves. I'm just saying, it's not that, not as bad as that, yeah. Embrace your mistakes. It's just too bad that we couldn't record, like I always joke with Pasta, like whenever the recording fails is when we end up doing well. And then whenever we end up recording it, we just fail horribly. <laughs> he said something about maybe doing a retro draft. It's hard to tell. I've always like, I got I tell him whenever he's got one ready, just let me know and we'll do it. But I haven't had it. We haven't. We've only done the, the first few, and he hasn't contacted me about the rest yet. And I want to do another actual do another team draft and actually record it this time. But Skype has just been uh, very temperamental lately. All right. Well, also on the forums was. Uh... Fractures post about the pre-con value, so the value that you'd get out of the pre-con decks. thought that was a pretty good post. Appreciated that. Yeah, no problem. Um, I realized the other day when I was going through some of the pre-constructed decks that some of them actually had better value if you picked them up. You didn't mind getting all the, the other stuff that was in there if you were looking to get those cards. Because uh, I've been working on a Leyline Sarah Sanctum deck, and I wanted to get uh, the two tutors that were in the... Ah, crap, I forget the name of the deck. I think it was the Rabina Soulslinger Commander deck. And I looked the prices of those up online, and it would have been cheaper just to buy that deck to get one of each of them, plus to get all the other cards that are in there. So from there, I just started making a bunch of, uh, call them issues, uh, dealing with either two or three of the different pre-constructed decks you can buy off of the store, uh, and giving you an idea of what it would cost to go pick those cards up off of a bot. Uh, 
uh, the values aren't always exactly the same because it's not like you're going to get the, the one of the dual decks and have the cards that are in the dual decks be worth exactly what they would be worth uh, buying the regular ones. But if you were to buy the regular ones, you'd be spending more. It's just that you won't have as much in trade if you try trading them back. But it's a cheap way to get cards. So what were some of the better ones in terms of value? Uh, probably the best one, I think, is the Exiler uh, Legacy deck that's on the market. I yeah. think that's like a 25 no, that's a $30 deck. Uh, but if you just take the top four cards that are in that deck uh, and all the copies of them that are in there, you end up with, uh, you would have spent 4650 just to get the uh, Aether Vials. And there's four Aether Vials, um, two Stone, two Mistress Factories, three Craxes, uh, three Stone Forge Mystics, and a Jitte. And all those together would cost you 4650 if you tried just buying them off lots. Or you can just buy this deck and get them and then get a pre-built deck, which is essentially a representation of the Death and Taxes build that runs around Legacy. It's a pretty good deck. Again, you can't really sneeze at three Stone Forge Mystics. It's $27 right there. Amazingly enough. Yeah, they're not all good, though. Uh, there's a couple dual decks that are truly abysmal, and the one that we talked about a couple weeks ago, that Dra- Dragons vs. Knights online, is going to be worth next to nothing. Yeah, it sounds like uh, the Dragon deck was a bit of a bomb. Speaking, though, of the uh, post you made there, Fetcher, uh, I did point out, I think, in one of my responses, that, uh, that the clan actually had gotten uh, the XLR deck, and I noticed that one of your follow-up posts to that was how that deck could easily be kind of converted into... Uh, a decent legacy deck? Uh, yeah, actually, I've I've got most of it built. The only thing I'm missing, um, for myself anyway, is the uh, Wastelands, because Death and Taxes tends to run four Wastelands, because the whole point of that deck is to basically just get rid of all your opponents, all, everything they have in play, and beat them up with uh, equipment that you sneak in play. Um, and I've seen that it, it's put up some decent numbers in legacy tournaments. It's not quite as fast as the combo decks, and I think the numbers that it put up were probably better uh, several months ago. It seems like Legacy right now has been kind of overrun by combo decks. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting because that was sort of the plan with the, the deck the clan has. Because uh, Spitzdafo donated that a while back for anybody that's interested in playing in Legacy and wanted to borrow an, uh, an okay Legacy deck, I guess. Not top tier, obviously, but... Uh, and the plan was, I guess, to slowly convert it to be like Death and Taxes or one of those other ones, because I think it can be ported fairly easily into several other different kind of builds. So I like the way that you kind of highlighted that and pointed out a few card additions to make it there. Yeah, I think for that particular uh, deck, like I said, the Wastelands are the big ones. They're like, they're like 30 bucks a piece. Uh, outside of that, you do get Aether Vials. You get four Aether Vials in that deck, uh, which is a staple pretty much in Legacy these days because it allows you to get around counter spells. Um, and I have i don't know very many decks that aren't other than combo decks that aren't running four Aether Vials in them just off the bat. Uh, Stone Forges are obviously pretty good, um, but I don't know if they're as good in the current Legacy environment anymore just because it's gotten so fast with combo that people are comboing out regularly on, like, turns three or four. And if you're casting a Stone Forge on turn three and then getting the equipment in on turn... or Stone Forge on turn two and getting the equipment in on turn three, you're pretty much already behind. Yeah, that's for sure. But it is fun. Whenever I take it into the casual room, it doesn't usually lose. But then again, that's the casual room. It does pretty good against Affinity decks, though. All right. Yeah, that's a good point. So I'll just take a minute to advertise the clan real quick. So if you are interested in playing in Legacy and do want to borrow the XLR deck, you can contact me and take that out of the vault if you want to bring that into the casual room and see how the deck plays. That's why it's there. Sweet. And I'm glad you were able to join us this week. Fracture, last week we were talking about Avenged uh, Post uh, from way back when. Build your own set. There's some new cards that... You put on there, and Avenge put on there, so I thought it'd be cool to have the two of you on together to talk about those, that post and those cards. All right, what specifically, I guess, did you want to go over, just out of curiosity? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, interesting cards here. 
And I'm just looking at your most recent post from January 31st. Oh, actually, the most recent ones I've got in there, um, at least in that one thread uh, I put in on April 2nd. And I also got kind of curious uh, the other day, and I started making... I want to actually build a block. Uh, again, this isn't for anything other than my own personal, I guess, satisfaction of doing it. But I kind of wanted to build a block that revolved around an old MMO I used to play called Dark Age Camelot. And I've got a thread set up for that, too, with a couple of the cards I made for that. Were there any cards specifically, or did you just want to talk about like, the process of making your own cards kind of situation? I don't know, it just didn't... Because as you said, a lot of cards there. Yeah. Well, the idea basically came up because uh, I go to the Magic uh, Salvation forums a lot, and there's a whole sub-form in there near the bottom uh, under their creative section uh, where people make their own cards and they make their own sets and they actually run. They run monthly contests. I don't think you actually win anything, like, physically win anything, but they do have contests to see who can come up with the, the, the best set or who can come up with the best idea for a card or the best idea for a planeswalker. Um, it doesn't pretty much really go anywhere past that, although it is fun. I guess if people really wanted to, they could print these up and stick them to regular cards and play with them. Um, <clears throat> mostly it's just uh, it's a nice exercise in creativity. It also gives you a, a bit of appreciation for not only the kind of work that goes into making one of these cards, uh, but the work that goes into actually templating them. Uh, which basically means how the cards are written up, because you can't just slap words on there and have and you know have it make sense. You kind of have to make think about how you're going to word it, think about the economy of space that's on the card, and also think about the purpose of what you're doing on the card. Are you basically making a card that already exists somewhere else, uh, which means why are you making this card, or are you building a card that does something new? Uh, and also then you have to also kind of think about the power level. I mean, yes, you could have a card that basically cost one you know, red and said kills your opponent, but what's the point of that? Well, I thought that it was kind of interesting. I, 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 like, the, I like the Eldritch creature type. Yeah, the idea that I had was that, um, like most MMOs, everyone's got a character that they create. There's different classes that you create, and then each class does something different. So your tank classes would be more like your sword and board guys, and then your magic users would be like that. And... So the idea I was going to have was that each class was going to have a legendary creature associated with it, and then each creature was going to have three abilities on it um, that did something flavorful for that creature type. And then the other thing that I wanted to do, I guess, was in that game the creatures cast the spells, and so as a planeswalker you could cast their spells or you can get them to cast the spell. So the idea I had is that there's an ability I came up with called Proxy where you can tap a creature that shares a creature type with the tribal uh, creature type on the instant sorcery or enchantment to reduce the colorless portion of the casting cost. And then, because I was also, apparently I've been a lot, really, really bored lately, <laughs> I've been going into the actual game and taking screenshots from the game to put as uh, art for the cards. Yeah, I was wondering where some of the art comes from. It's really cool. Not to derail the conversation, but uh, look back at your other thread, the one with uh, magic cards. Mm-hmm. Um, the cards I actually found most interesting, I'm looking at, it's, I guess one of the, not the older ones, but one of like, the ones, things at page two, it's your equipment card that gives the, uh, like, Planeswalker abilities to the creature it's equipped to. Oh, yeah. The idea I had there was, um, that was part of it, a, a fake expansion idea that I came up with, uh, going back to Homelands. And I remember reading the Homelands story that Baron Sanger was trying to figure out a way to become a Planeswalker. So, so the idea that I had was that somebody basically would make equipment. Uh, it's on page two. Um, it's on page two. There's three of them. They're all called Vents. Uh, they've got an equip cost that has colorless mana in it, or colorless and colored mana in it, and they turn a creature into a Planeswalker. And then the Planeswalker at that point gets two abilities. And the abilities aren't overpowered. They're just basically like abilities that already existed previously in Magic. Cool. I 
that was just like the idea behind it just had so much flavor. I think like I wish they'd do something like this because the idea itself is just genius. I think it's one of those things that it's hard to balance that, and it's one of those, it, you'd have to really play test those to see if that's broken or not. And because we're just making up ideas, you can do a little bit of mental playtesting, but you never know if it's going to be too powerful or not. Uh, I think it wouldn't be because it, I think you have to balance it by making sure that the abilities aren't anything too out of whack. Like the Vent of Chaos, which is like turns the creature into a red planeswalker, essentially the only two abilities it gets at that point are add a counter to, basically give it a loyalty counter to do a lightning bolt effect, or take three loyalty counters off of it to do a Wheel of Fortune. And then the black one was add a counter to it to do a Dark Ritual, or take three counters off of it to do a Demonic Tutor. And where'd you get the artwork for those? Those are really sweet cards, man. Honestly, I can't tell you the exact place I got them from, because I think I pulled those down back in January. A lot of the art I got off of these, I either got them off of DeviantArt by just doing searches for things that kind of went along with what I was looking for in terms of what the card was doing, or I pulled it off of just doing a Google image search uh, with certain words and then scrolling through pages of things and see if you finally found a picture you liked. And cause I just remember reading several stories, uh, like in the Magic Storyline, where there are people that were trying to become planeswalkers uh, outside of the usual way. Yeah, and that's what I kind of came up with here, because, uh, again, the whole idea was this was supposed to be taking place in the Homelands expansion, and one of the thing, one of the stories in that was that Baron Sanger was trying to become a planeswalker. And so the idea here was that someone finally created a device that allowed you to do that, but you pretty much to sacrifice somebody into it for it to happen, which I think is also kind of like how, um, ah, crap, Memnarch, whoever the, uh, the artifact legend was from the Mirrodin, Original original Mirrodin set. He was trying to figure out a way to become a planeswalker. He was trying to kill an actual planeswalker and steal a spark. Yeah, that's the way I read it usually. Like, Yagmoth did the same thing. Tried to actually take the spark out of the planeswalker and put it inside himself. I think he actually succeeded in that one. Uh, but yeah, and then Nimrod thinks that he's doing that as well. The other card on that page that I came up with that I kind of liked, and again, I don't know if it's overpowered or not, was uh, that spell that I just called Omega. Which one? Uh, Omega. It's probably... Two posts, two or three posts down from the Planeswalker artifacts. So, let me read this card. Can I read this card? Yeah, go ahead. So, this is an X spell. All creatures get minus X, minus X if three black was spent to play Omega. Each player draws X cards if blue mana was spent to play Omega. Gain X life if white mana was spent to play Omega. Destroy up to X target artifacts and or enhancement if... Three green mana was spent to play Omega. Deal X damage to each opponent if three was spent to play Omega. Yeah, the idea there was that um, there's no actual colored part of that casting cost uh, for those of you that are listening and have no clue what we're talking about. Uh, it's a sorcery. The casting cost just has a big X in it, uh, and then depending upon what mana you dump into it determines the effect. Uh, and then in order to get one of the effects, you have to dedicate three mana of that color to it. So if you want to get the minus X, minus X ability, you have to have at least three black into it. So let's say, for instance, you, you put six black into the spell, and that's all you put into it. So all creatures in play would get minus six, minus six. However, if you put three black and three blue, then all creatures would get minus X, minus X, and then each player would draw six cards. Uh, same goes for the rest of them. So depending upon what combination of colors you put in there, as long as there's three mana of a certain color, you would get that effect in addition to the other one. So theoretically, you could pump 15 mana into this, three of each color, to get all the effects. It does sound a little overpowered at first, but you have to keep in mind how much mana you're, get, you're dumping into it. Uh, and the idea that you're going to get multiple effects of this to go off is possible. But then if you had that much mana, you could do a lot of other things, too. So which one of these is probably your favorite card? Uh, that one's currently my favorite, uh, just because of the amount of time I put into it. You've got mail. That was my cell phone going off. Yeah, these are just really sweet cards. 
And Avenged, you've got a couple of cards on here. What inspired you to do this post? You obviously make cards as well. Who, me? Oh, yeah. Um, basically, it was just, it was a while back, and I was coming back to playing the game, and I saw that the forms, I don't know, I kind of wanted to, I wanted to make something, I wanted to do something interact, interactable that I was hoping other people would join in on, and um, so I figured I would, um, Start making that thread. It seemed like a cool idea to get clan members to make cards, make their own cards, and kind of come together. But I never really lifted off quite the way I planned for it to. And um, and then I eventually stumbled onto Dark's post, which he was like buried underneath many, many old posts, and um, kind of brought some more life into that for a little while. That please and thank you card creation, where everybody would um like make a card and then name the next the theme for what the next person had to make a card based off of and that's where I got the, in, the program at and once I downloaded the program I just started going crazy with it and just making cards yeah for anyone that's interested uh, the program we're using is called Magic Set Editor um, it's pretty pretty fun to use uh, but the thing about it is is that when you download the actual program you get the basic uh, version of the program no, not all of the bells and whistles are in there so I think I don't know if the newest versions of it come with it or not, but initially when I picked this program up, the ability to make a Planeswalker that had four abilities wasn't in it yet. Um, and so I got those from another forum, and I don't have the URL handy now, uh, but if you want, I can probably get it to you later, and you can stick it in like the show notes that get posted in the forum. Uh, the link's actually in my comment. Okay, cool. From way back when. Right, but is it a link to... Uh, the site that you can download this from, because there's actually a whole a separate uh, forum outside of it. It's not a Magic Salvation uh, thread. It's a completely separate forum elsewhere. Uh, has... magic, magic set editor All right, yeah, I'll get you the other link, because uh, basically that's a link to where you can download this application. Uh, but if anyone here is familiar with um, Magic Workshop, uh, whenever they upload new images and card sets for that program, they get uploaded to another website, and that website also houses all of the basically expansions for the Dark Age of Camelot. Or, yeah, sorry, my bad, for the Magic Center program. But I've had a lot of fun making cards with it and coming up with ideas for yeah, it. Yeah, those cards are um, sweet. I think it would be kind of fun to somehow get a whole entire block of this ready and then draft it somehow. There's plenty of ways you could actually do it online. It's just that whether or not anyone have interest in doing so. Yeah, I still thought that would be awesome, too, if, if, you, could, if, if you could make your own set and then be able to, like, load it up to, like, Say like say the same kind of draft program that we use for the queue or something or something similar and just draft it and not actually physical draft it but just the picks and stuff that'd be awesome. Yeah, but it's too bad you couldn't actually play it though. Uh, kind of you can actually. Kind of you can actually. Here's the way it works. Um, there is a way to once you've made your own set, upload it into let's say Magic Workstation, and then you could. I guess, theoretically, get all these cards then loaded into that website that we used to do the draft on. And then once everyone's drafted, they could just make the deck files like they did before, like we do online. And then instead of doing that, they would just load them into the uh, Magic Workstation program. Of course, everyone would have to patch this in as new expansions. And then from that point on, you would just play it using Magic Workstation. That sounds like a lot of trouble and effort. That's why I said kind of you can. (laughs) (laughs) So this is obviously not a core set. Uh, No. (laughs) This is... uh, Something to do that's fun. Really an expansion uh, set. Yeah. <laughs> I just like the names and the art. It's cool. It takes a while to get them right, and uh, a lot of these have gone through several revisions. I'm not quite as tedious when it comes to the, the um, making sure the cards are written right. Oh, I'm real anal about that. <laughs> what did you say, uh, uh, song, I, that you got lost in the echo? I said, actually, 
interested in the storyline behind. Like, it, it seems to me like you actually are trying to create the cards as if they were, like, in a cohesive story. Maybe I'm just looking too deep into it. No, there is a cohesive story. The idea that I came up with um, was, I think, the way that the current storyline of Magic the Gathering goes for both the Homelands expansion and for the Rise of the Eldrazi expansion are as such. Uh, with Rise of the Eldrazi, I think that they pretty much suck the life out of Zendikar, but they're stranded there because they have no way of, uh, I guess, planeswalking. And the expansion for Homelands ended with uh, the Homelands exp- uh, plane being locked away uh, using, I guess, it was, I think it was Firo's band after Sarah died. And uh, it got pretty much set that way. So my idea is that a really long time has gone by in the homelands, I forget the name of that plane, but in that area. And Baron Sanger's been trying to figure out how to basically get a spark and planeswalk away. So he finally does, and the first place he accidentally planeswalks to is Zendikar, uh, and accidentally lets the Eldrazi into the homelands area. So the idea is that the Eldrazi are invading homelands. Interesting. And because Baron Sanger's been trying to all kinds of ridiculous ways to become a planeswalker, a lot of the way uh, magic works is different there, which is why there's some creatures that the way that they work is that instead of tapping, say, to do two damage, they tap and then they become an instant because basically they go from being a creature to a spell. And then there's other spells that once they resolve become creatures. And that, to me, has got twofold issues with it. One of the problems I think magic has is um, when they're trying to design creatures is that if you make a creature that's too powerful then you have to worry about somebody tricking it into play. So if, say, a creature goes to the graveyard, someone can always animate dead it. So then if they don't want the creature to be animated, then they have to basically make it so the creature gets shuffled back in your deck. But then that can be abused later on by the way the Eldrazi get abused, where people then use those spells to prevent themselves from being decked. So the idea I came up with uh, were these spells that had this ability that I, I called animate, which basically says whenever the spell, whenever a spell of animate resolves, it enters the battlefield as a creature. So one of the ones I'm looking at is called Thoughts Unchecked. It's three blue, four colorless. It's a sorcery, a tribal elemental, and when you cast it, you draw seven cards. Uh, and then when, it, when you're done resolving it, instead of going to the graveyard like a regular sorcery would, it goes into play as a creature. And so when it says when Thoughts Unchecked enters the battlefield, you may untap it for five permanents. So it harkens back to the way the urgent spells used to work. That could be too powerful, I'm not sure. Um, but you can't abuse it by, you know, animating it out of the graveyard, so you don't have to worry about somebody tricking it into play because there's no spells that currently say put a sorcery into play as a creature. So you don't have to worry about it getting tricked out, and a casting cost of seven to draw seven cards seems pretty reasonable to me. Yeah, that's also true. Even though there are a few ways, obviously, to trick, like sorceries or things like that, or even, like, what would happen if you were to, like, twin-cast it, one of these sorceries, if you get two creatures, or, like, that's some things to think about. But, yeah, I noticed those, like, I'm looking at uh, Singer's Reach. They're, they're pretty sweet. I was kind of surprised when I saw that, like, animate. Like, that's, that was pretty original. Yeah, a friend of mine when I was talking talking these over with him, thought that they were pointless because he thought that the uh, Eldrazi had a pretty good way of addressing creatures that were too powerful going into the graveyard. Um, but like I said, it's just another idea. Plus, it's fun coming up with crazy ideas. Yeah, cool. Anyway, that's probably enough talked about that. Thanks for joining us and talking about it. What is the next topic? Looks like it would be EDH. Uh, we talked about this a little while ago. Uh, EDH is, stands for Elder Dragon Highlander. Never heard of EDH. Online just uh, it's an old name that came up a long time ago. Right now it's called Commander, and that's what we call it online. Wizards has decided that it's a fun format, and they're going to co-opt it and start selling uh, pre-constructed decks that are going to have multiple legends in them and be similar to the ones that they sold online already. We've got two Commander decks online right now, but they don't exist in paper. Coming out in June, they're going to be releasing five new ones uh, that are all wedge-colored. Look to have some interesting cards, and they've spoiled a couple here and there. 
Yeah, I think that was part of like Hex's point though. Like Elder Dragon Highlander EDH is not the name anymore, the format's now been officially called Commander and everybody well most uh, officially sponsored events will switch switched over to uh, the new name. And uh, even the I guess the, the player made website that used to sponsor EDH has now changed their name also to Commander. Yeah, I just think I, I'm so used to calling it that because I've called it that for so long that sometimes it sneaks out as part of the so, so in Magic Arcana, they uh, they showed the uh, boxes for the. They have five new commander decks. They're going to go for twenty nine ninety nine. They're of course hundred card singleton decks. Now you said they're wedge decks. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. Like I seriously don't know what that means. Instead of being three color friendly, they'll be three color enemy. So for instance, the blue wedge deck is blue, red, and green. Uh, which means that the commander that will be in there will be a blue, red, and green legend. And actually, looking over the boxes and remembering what I read, uh, this actually is different from what I said last time. Last time I said something about this, I was wrong. Uh, each deck is going to have two wedge commanders in it, and then one enemy color legend in it. So, for instance, uh, the blue, red, and green one will have two legends in it that are blue, red, and green, and then one legend in it that is either red and blue, or green and blue. I'm not sure which. I'm really looking forward to the blue, red, white one. They meant to have one. Yep. It's called Political Puppets. It looks like, uh, I can't quite see the dragon's name, but the Devastator. Newbot. Devastator. Yeah, one of the Wedge Legends that's going to be in it is the Wedge Legends that already existed from the Time Spiral block. Uh, the other one will be a new card, and then the enemy Colored one will also be a new card. So is the Great Hearted um, an existing card? No. Uh, if, you're, if anyone's looking at the pictures, the dragon that's all the way on the left on each of those boxes is the reprint. The other two legends that are in that box are new. Sweet. That's one reason why I'm pretty excited about these, because the fact that they're printing new commanders that are really in color combinations that haven't really been seen before. And that's kind of their idea to allow, I guess, to introduce a bit of diversity into the, the commander, but let people play color combinations that previously didn't really have a commander for them. Yeah, and it's also interesting to look at these and, and try to figure out what some of these guys do. Um, yeah, and there's a total of 51 new cards. Yeah, uh, not all of them are going to be legends. Some of them will just, will just be new spells uh, that are going to be multiplayer-focused. So far, we've gotten two of them spoiled. Uh, we talked about them previously. I don't know if we want to talk about them again or not. I do think this is really kind of an awesome breakthrough in the way they're doing this. The fact that they're printing new cards that are exclusively only for one format. That's not even officially supported uh, in terms of tournaments. Well, they have said that these cards will all be legal in Legacy. And um, I don't know if they'll make a big splash or not, but if you look down at the Counterpunch deck, the legend that's in the middle that looks like a ghostly bear and then some dude's arm, uh, that guy's already been spoiled, and uh, he's pretty good. Uh, I'm not sure if he'll make a big impact or not. but I could see him showing up in a dredge deck. I wonder how, though, you could play these cards in Legacy, considering that aren't, aren't these cards all being printed oversized in paper? Uh, the way that they're going to work is that you will have an oversized copy of each of them. So the ones that you're seeing there on the picture, those will be oversized. In the deck, there will also be a regular-sized version of them. Okay, that makes more that's sense. really cool. Yeah, that's all. That's, that looks cool to me. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting way to do it. Um, it's not going to show up online, obviously, because there's no point in doing oversized anything. It doesn't make much sense. But yeah, you will be able to use those in your decks. That is actually pretty cool. Even though I think probably most of these cards are, won't ever make it in the Legacy, but it's nice to know that at least they're legal in a format besides Commander. I can see Crandor being played. Um, 
his uh, he allows you to be his casting cost is lower based upon the number of cards that are in your graveyard. So Avenge, do you play Commander pretty regularly? Don't you online? Um, not as much as I used to. I've kind of the this the this the time commitment of the games and the way the games usually end up going is kind of causing up to really like it as much as I used to. But I play it every now and then whenever uh, family members want to need a fourth person or whatever to do a game. But um, so yeah, I, I play it. I play it a little bit. Yeah, you're never quite sure what you're going to get into when you randomly go into a commander game. Yeah, I mean, he's, I he's the best, 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 best way to do it is to play with clan members, because if you don't play with clan members, you're probably going to end up with a game that you, that's not favorable. Just know that if you're playing against Prism to bring bring your A game. <laughs> uh, if, I'm playing, if, I'm, if I'm playing against now, I'll just bring in my red deck that everybody hates, and we'll, I'll come to number one target for no reason. I, I'm just trying to figure out the math here, because they say there's 51 new magic cards. There are five decks they have here, and on the boxes they each say contains 15 new magic cards. There must be some overlap because that's 65 cards, even if you assume that the two yeah. two commanders are counted in that. It just doesn't add up. There's definitely yeah. overlap in between them. That's why they... Yeah. Yeah, you can't get around that. I did the math also. I'm like, no, that doesn't work out. It's got to be overlap. That's the only way... Out. You know what? <laughs> only explanation. Well, you do have overlap in the colors, so I can totally see them overlapping some of the cards showing up For in multiple sure. boxes. Uh, it won't be a total travesty because some of them you might want to have multiples of them, seeing as this is going to be the only format you're going to get from that. So you guys... If any of these cards do end up making a splash, you'll end up having to buy several of these, or the prices will be high. So you guys going to get these, or... What do you think? In paper or magic? Either. Or I, I don't know. Either. I, 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 I actually got a question. Are these? Does anybody know or anybody can guess if these things are going to be playable in 100 card singleton when they when they come on Magic Online? No. It really depends on what's in that box. Uh, so, more than likely, several weeks before they come out, or maybe even a month before they come out, they'll spoil what these deck lists are. Now, keep in mind that this isn't going to be a product like from the vaults or anything like that, where it's only going to be available for a limited time. Uh, Wizards have said they're planning on selling these for a year. So you've got a whole year to pick these up. Um, so pretty much pick up whichever ones you want. And online, we'll see how long they stay online, too. But I'm guessing they'll be online for a year also. I know I'll probably pick up uh, two different ones in paper. I don't play paper magic, but it'll be cool to have it just around. So if i am got some downtime with some friends, I could try to teach them because... My friends have been really interested in the commander format, yet the normal games get kind of dull, I guess. Well, you don't always have to worry about some you know, ridiculous decks coming out, although people have been figuring out ways of making really, really good commander decks that kind of take advantage of the fact that you're going to have a legend that's going to always be able to be casted. Commanders is not really that strong in my uh, in my, my meta game and paper. It's, it's really just a standard dominated area, and there's a... Uh, there's a few people that try to try to like m- try to make ADH work and get people to play it, but uh, it's just not that popular. Yeah, the problem we have locally with it is that people don't always have a deck, um, or not everyone will have a deck. So the place I used to go play at, there'd be like five of us that wanted to play, and everyone would be like, "Hey, everyone got a commander deck?" And four of us would, and one guy wouldn't. So it's like, okay, well, if we're gonna play commander, that means we need to go home. <laughs> but no one ever wanted. So no one ever really wanted to do that. This meant we didn't play commander that week, and it. Pretty much it was like once once every couple months we'd all finally have a commander deck together. And then like the next week somebody would, would that lost would decide they didn't like their commander deck. And so they'd take it apart. And so we'd basically be 
another couple of weeks before we had everyone with a commander deck again. It just never seemed to work out. Well, it's really a pain in the ass to build a commander deck in paper, you know, because you, you gotta, you gotta go like, especially if you're like me and you have like your car, you have like all your cards separated different kinds of areas and different binders and stuff, and and buy newer and old and older stuff, and you gotta like, you gotta go for each binder and grab cards out of them, and then you gotta like try to figure out what color you're going in, and then you gotta then you gotta find a hundred sleeves that. Network, you know, and sleep them all. It's just not, it's just not a desirable process to make a deck. Yeah, it again leads to the issue that it's easier to make decks online because it's, it's easier to sort through your collection for one. And then it's also easier to build a deck when you only need for every card, and that's it. If you wanted to make a commander deck with all your best cards and all your best cards are already in, that means you have to take apart all your decks or have five of every card as opposed to just four. Yeah, like I can tell you right now, I got like stacks. I got this stack of cards right on the side on the side of me. That's all these rares that I was gonna put in each deck and build, and just never got around to it. It's just still sitting there because I just it's a pain in. Well, I'll get them. I'll probably even get them in paper. I probably won't get them in because I just don't play paper hardly ever anymore. Well, it wouldn't really be that bad of a buy in paper since they're already pre-made, pre-constructed decks, and if you got a couple friends over or something or. People, you can just open up and start playing. Yeah, but if I got, if I have thirty dollars to spend on magic, it's probably get spent on magic online. Yeah, valid point. If I've got thirty dollars to spend on magic, it's more than likely going to get some magic online. I'm not going to buy the paper versions of these and then buy the online right. versions of these. If you're going to buy all five of these, you're already looking at right. hundred fifty bucks. If you're going to buy all five of them in both copies, then you're looking like three hundred dollars. Sure. Yeah. I'd probably just buy the political puppets one myself. Why that one? I don't know, I've just always been a big fan of that color combination, and, every, and um, I already have a, I already have like several ED, I already have an EDH deck with that combination and a couple kind of card singleton decks with that combination. So it'd be nice to see what kind of cards they they kind of add to the pool. Revenge likes the idea of playing with the Minotaur monk. <laughs> it's all about the uh, black, green, white for me. Have you seen what that commander is? Oh, yeah. I, when you guys were talking about him, I looked him up. It's pretty nasty. Yeah, if you combine that with the other, the harvester in there, it's going to be pretty good. And also, that's the same color combination that allows you to play Survival of the Fist and uh, Karmic Guide and Rebel Arc. You know what else is going to be crazy in, uh, in AD? I think it would be awesome in ADH. is going to be um, Chancellor of the Dross or whatever, the black one. Well, we'll get to those guys when we get the spoilers. My favorite is the uh, blue, red, and green one. They're, the only thing that I'm missing on here is I remember looking over the uh, other cards that they spoiled, and there was one called Nin the Pain something or other, and I don't see him on the cover of any of these boxes, so I'm thinking there's going to be an additional legend in each of these that we haven't hmm. seen before either. And I'm not sure if he's going to end up in Mirror Mastery uh, or if he's going to end up in Political Puppets. Well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense for him to give you big cards that aren't the triple colors, because obviously you won't be able to use it as commander if it's only two of the colors. So Nim is probably going to be just a single copy in Mirror Mastery, because that's the only deck with that combination. Or, or Political Puppets. So we'll see. It'll be interesting. I think he's probably going to end up in Mirror Mastery, though, because, um, I don't know, just based on the, the card that I'm seeing there on the left, that seems like the deck that would take advantage of wanting to draw cards more. I don't know, just talk, talk about overlap, it could be in both. True. Could be. Well, that... Either way, whatever deck he ends up in, you should swap out one of the cards you don't want to want in that deck for a uh, 
that pincushion uh, artifact that I'm blanking on the name of. Stuffy Doll? Yeah, Stuffy Doll. You're, you're going to want one of those in there if they, that legend's in that deck. Stuffy Doll is awesome. Well, obviously we have to talk about Karn. New Phyrexia spoilers came out. What is it? What is it really to say about Corn? He's colorless. He costs seven. He's his first his first activation puts him at ten, lowerly, and he removes stuff. He removes permits and he's colors. And what else? What else? He's also colors. Did I mention his colors? Yeah. Well, the thing is, he's seven mana cost. So in standard, there's only a couple decks that want to take advantage of him. Mostly ranged, well, ranged. You know how many decks standard can actually ramp up to seven mana re- easily, pretty easily, at uh, relatively decent pace? Yeah, but how many of those decks are really going to want a seven casting cost spell in their hand, hogging up real estate when they could have had something else that is more going to help them win? I mean, this is a great card, but if you think about it, if it's not in the right deck, it's not going to. It's it's not like Jace where it's a you know, blue card that's going to show up in every deck. And yes, the ability to exile a permanent is great, but then once you do that, someone attacks him and he's dead. Uh, if he's in a control deck, then yeah, that, then they'll want to take care, uh, advantage of that. It's really going to uh, depend on, I guess, where the metagame's at. That's right. I just think the guy's nuts, though. I mean, like, the, the, the most powerful Planeswalker I have seen up to this point uh, was probably Nicole Bolas, because the guy's abilities are insane. Uh, and the fact that Karn is a mana less, and his abilities are actually almost, I guess you could say, better than Nicole Bolas's, and he's easier to cast, just seems kind of ridiculous to me. Let's also keep in mind, though, that he is being released in the same expansion with a new artifact creature that anyone that wants to can cast that murders Planeswalkers. Yeah, but do you realize that you'd have to, like, have, like, if they, if they activate Corn one time, you'd have to have, like, ten mana to be able to, uh, to, to pump into that artifact to kill Corn. To kill Karn that turn. You don't necessarily need to kill him that turn. You just need to knock him down low enough. Keep in mind that when you use that ability, the creature also gets bigger. So if your opponent does not have a blocker and they activate Karn and they put him at 10, you only have to pay 5 mana to knock him down to 5 and then attack into him. Except that they would like, exile the card the next turn. No, I understand. I'm not saying it's a perfect strategy, but if they exile him the next turn and he's also down lower. Just he is good. I'm just saying, I think I'd rather have Hex Mage than that, you know, than that guy. Even though we're not gonna have Hex Mage, but uh, he's he just, he's so mana intensive to get rid of Planeswalkers. But yeah, he's an answer, I guess. So how much do you think Karn will go for? Well, he's already selling for fifty. Yeah. All right. You guys want to talk about any of the white cards? Uh, Pure Steel Paladin uh, will probably end up in some Chicago decks. I'm guessing. I want it in my White Weenie deck. That's for sure. I've already got an entire deck built in my head for that card. I don't think it's right, though, for Complete, actually. Really? Whenever an art equipment comes into the battlefield under your control, draw a card? So, what, you dedicate, like, four slots to that when you only have maybe four or five artifacts total that do that? Mm, you should point. And, I don't know, and you couldn't really take advantage of his metalcraft ability, either. I think he's gonna, I think he's probably gonna build, um, I think they'll probably, like, he'll probably build his own archetype, uh, if... Possibly, especially well, especially during the short time that him and Stoneforge are being standing together. Him, semblance ample with a, an artifact on it, tons of two or less equipment cards. You just keep cycling cards onto the battlefield, drawing more, eventually hit Metalcraft so you can equip them all onto him for free, and then just got to give them unblockable or trample when you kill them. What about, like, the White Weenie Quest deck? Without Quest or without Stoneforge, or I don't know. 
I think possibly this guy could bring back like a white weenie build. Actually, I like what Dark had to say about the semblance animal. That sounds like a pretty fun idea because you could actually pull out some of the uh, I forget the name of it. That one living weapon that is a plus one plus one with a dude on it would be a bad thing to just throw a bunch of those in the play. It sounds fun. I think much more impressive though would be if you had like a mirror crusader and the three swords. Could have got those all for free. Ouch. We also have Norn's Annex, uh, which is a card I was suggesting maybe would end up in that Tezzeret deck you're working on. Uh, the way that it's casted is three colorless mana, and then either two white, or some either some combination of two white or two life for each of the white you don't want to pay. Uh, and the way it works is it's an artifact. Creatures can't attack you or planeswalkers you control unless their controller plays either one white mana per creature attacking or two life. Honestly, when I first saw that card, I loved it but I thought it was an enchantment. But now that you've pointed out that it's an artifact, as soon as that card comes out and gain a playset, I'm not even kidding. It's going to be my first thing to get out of that set. Do you have white in that deck? I haven't really been paying attention to it. Yeah, my Tez Blade is basically black-white with just a blue splash for the walkers just because of the dual lands in it. Except, personally, though, I don't think you... If I was going to play that card, depending on when I was going to play it, I wouldn't even bother paying the white mana. I would just... Pay it for three and four life. Yeah, I was just going to state that. Um, that you don't have to pay the white, but if you have it, then you can save yourself some life. I think turn four is probably pretty important. Or turn five. That's probably the good, that's probably the good white spell. There's another white enchantment, but it's it's fun, but I don't think it's going to see play. You know, I was looking at the art on these things, and it reminded me of an article that I read on the mothership, uh, The Planeswalker Guide to New Phyrexia. Did any of you guys read that article? Maybe you did, Eldritch. I liked yeah. that article. That was really I looked cool. at the art. So there's a blue spell in this that I think a lot of people have overlooked uh, that I was listening to a podcast the other day, and I don't remember the name of it. But they pointed out that it allows you to go infinite uh, with a particular ally with species transplantation. That looks like a hilarious combo to pull off. It's actually not as bad as you think. Uh, when it comes into play, you choose allies, and then you cast the ally that's green. And when he comes into play, he puts a wolf token into play. Which means that when he comes into play, he puts a wolf ally token into play. Which then sets him off that put another wolf ally token into play. Which then sets him off to put another wolf ally token into play. And you just keep doing that until you're tired of having dudes in play. And, and then you combine that with either black or blue allies. So you either have the lose life ally or the mill ally. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's one of the... I used to play bug allies a while back where it was basically... Ally ramp into right of replication on the mill ally or the lose life guy. And you can do that with the uh, species transplant and the turn to Burr Ranger as well. Yep, it'd be amusing. Granted, it's a combo you're only going to be able to pull off for a short amount of time. Uh, but I could see it showing up in some commander decks to make slivers even more annoying. Does anybody ever wonder, just kind of going slowly off topic, how, like, whenever cards get leaked, they're always in Japanese? Like, why are they printing these cards in Japanese first? I don't get it. Uh, I don't think it's an issue of they're printing them in Japanese first. I think they print them in all languages first. Um, but the reins of keeping things under wraps uh, over in that part of Asia is not the best. Um, I know Korea in general has a lot of problems bootlegging. Uh, bootlegging is pretty rampant over there. And so I think it's just that whole concept uh, being mirrored into this, that even though they're available over there and they're supposed to be hush-hush, things will leak out because it's just the way oh. things work. Like, the further away you get right. from Wizards headquarters, the harder it is for them to, like, control the 
how things get handled. Yeah, anime, movies, music. You get a lot more bootlegs over on that part of the world than you do, say, over on there. So any of the black cards that we want to talk about? There's this thing called uh, Flexion Canceler. That's not even, man, there's so, like, almost all the black cards I saw on this list were amazing. Cancelers ridiculous, though. It's basically the opposite of the Phyrexian Negator. Now, I have a question of, about this. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah. I have a question about this, because me, me and my buddy were wondering about this. Does the card, uh, does the card uh, make you pawn and sacrifice a creature for every one point of damage they deal, or just one permanent per damage they deal? Every point of damage that is dealt to it, you have to sacrifice that many. So if someone decides so, to like hold it, so they have to sacrifice so if they're playing red and they have to try, they have to try to kill with like double lightning bolt or something, they're, they're sucking six permanents, right? Yep. Wow, that card is just amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of those cards you have to basically go, okay, I have to figure out how to kill you before this thing kills me because I'm not blocking it. But that just means he'll end up in being journeyed to nowhere and condemned and locked down in any number of ways. Yeah, it's, I guess the right, I guess the right season is amazing. Yeah. Well, don't forget he's also triple black, so. No, he's like quadruple black. Oh yeah, he's four black to cast. So either you're running mono black, or else you're just running a black blue or black red, where just the splash is only off the dual lands. Otherwise, you're probably not gonna see this guy hit the play. It'd be fun for people to play him in Legacy, where you can get him out on turn two with a dark ritual, or turn one with a dark ritual and a uh, lotus petal, and then just to watch your opponent sort of splash here. I, I maybe. Jumping the gun and thinking this card is just so much better than it really is, but I just I just find that the Black Chancellor is really good. Just the fact you can drain life for free in the, in the first turn. The Chancellors I like them uh, only because I'm I'm so working on that leyline deck and I like the idea of having things go off before the game starts. Um, the problem though with these guys is that after their effect goes off, you now have a giant card in your hand that you're never going to cast for a really long time. I was kind of thinking, thinking that, contemplating that as you were, as I was talking about it. And the red one is, I'm sorry, but that that put, put a one-one goblin with haste is just not that great compared to what it could have been. You don't think having a one-one goblin in turn on turn one that can attack is good? That has no no drawbacks. It's good, but I mean, it's not that great. Like, I guess if you do that and then you put like a goblin guy on first turn, that is pretty good. I mean, that's like free damage on first turn. When he comes into play, he probably won't have his second ability uh, go off of that much, uh, but it will be interesting to see if it does. See, I'm just looking at him with my Leyline deck that I've been playing, that basically the whole point of that deck is to get the green Leyline that gives you life and gives all your creatures one toughness, and then the white Leyline from Guild Pack that gives all of your token creatures plus one, plus one. I would love to drop two of those into play and then have this guy in my opening hand. It feels like Wizards is trying to kind of force Mom and Black on people because they also gave us, uh, what is it, um, swamp Blast or something, the the equipment, the living weapon equipment that gives you a plus one plus one very swampy control. Uh, it always looks like Wizards goes through cycles of trying to beef up colors, and um, mono black control has been a, a concept people have been trying to get to work, uh, but it hasn't ever really worked as well as they wanted it to. Uh, maybe they're trying to do that. I think also just has to do with maybe the flavor of the set. They want you to choose like a color to ally yourself with. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing what some of the other traders are going to look like. Uh, after seeing the white one, I do like her. I, I think she's she is expensive, but I, I don't think there's any way of getting her to be a power and toughness that she was at with the ability she had for anything less than that. Uh, and it will be interesting to see how the other ones are. I think they're probably all going to be seven casting costs though, because it looks like this this whole set is the magic number of seven. Because you have Karn at seven, 
you have all of these uh, praetors. All the started. red praetors, five to cast. Oh, is he? Yeah, three and double red. Which one is that I'm looking for? Oh, yeah, good point. Oh, maybe I was wrong. He's going to be great in red decks, though. But Karn is seven. All the chancellors are seven. Uh, that other creature I was mentioning earlier, the white one that they previously spoiled, she's also seven. I'm seeing an interesting theme in this set with the number seven. And like our, like back like actually, like the, the article they they uh, put up on Daily MTG about uh, introduction to Phyrexia, New Phyrexia. That actually goes through the entire uh, faction of the the white the white Phyrexians. It's actually pretty interesting to go through that and know that they have an equally in depth backstory for all the colors. Yeah, it was also interesting to hear them talk about. Uh, I'm not sure if it was that article or another one where they said that initially they weren't even going to have a Mirrodin versus Phyrexian set. This was just going to be a new Phyrexian set. And as they were developing it, they started to realize that the storyline of telling you that, telling you how new Phyrexia came into being was interesting. And it was. Um, sad to see Mirrodin go. But uh, I actually am looking forward to new Phyrexia, knowing that it's not just going to be evil black again, like there were some previous Phyrexian sets. But then it'll be interesting to see how those Phyrexian's ideals spill over to the other colors. One thing I'm noticing, though, the cards that they've spoiled so far don't have an effect in them. Yeah, that was pointed out elsewhere, um, and I agree. It is odd that they haven't spoiled any of those, but that just means that, in fact, it's probably going to show up on more commons and uncommons, and that's pretty much how it's been showing up so far in the block, is that the commons and uncommons is what the bulk of your infect cards are going to be, so that they show up in drafts, uh, and then the ones you get at the rare level are good, but they don't always make as big of a splash. Isn't this called an enchantment that gives the creature um, an effect and that whenever the creature goes in the graveyard, you can get to return the enchantment back to your hand? Glistening oil, two black rare enchantment aura, enchant creature has an effect. At the beginning of your upkeep, put a minus one minus one counter on the enchanted creature. When glistening oil goes to the graveyard from the battlefield, return it to its owner's hand. I'm not sure the, uh, how true this is, but I think Pasta was talking to me earlier uh, when Mirrodin was just coming out about how he read somewhere on Twitter that uh, Rosewater said they weren't going to print that many infect creatures in Newfoundland. Yeah, I thought he had said they weren't going to print any, but that's what I thought he had said. So, I mean, obviously that was wrong, but yeah, that's interesting. Well, we don't know if it's wrong yet. Like, we do have, like, like Glistening Oil, a couple of other cards that haven't the infect mechanic in them, but we haven't seen, I don't think, any creatures with infect spoiled yet. I think we might see a couple. Uh, I don't think we're going to get done, uh, just because... Some of the colors that exist already that they started putting Infect on in uh, the second set in this block, like white, for instance, only have two Infect creatures, which means it's kind of very difficult to make a white Infect deck. I'm hoping that they give us at least one or two more. Did you guys talk about Hex Parasite? Uh, uh, earlier, when we talked about Karn. Yeah, we kind of mentioned that a little bit. It's actually got a lot of interesting uses outside of the obvious, which everyone looks at immediately and is like, oh, finally, something you can use to murder planeswalkers with. Which, yes, finally, uh, that every color can use to murder planeswalkers with. However, there's also other applications for it. Um, you can use it to take infect tokens off of your creatures. You can use it in older formats to say, for instance, take vanishing tokens off of your opponent's creatures and make them go away sooner than later. Uh, you can use them to take tokens off of your opponent's um, landfall enchantments so that they'll never go off. There's a lot of uses for it. Pretty good. I actually like the one uh, taking counters off your persist creatures. Oh, yeah. That's going to be great. Which one is that? Which one is that? That's going to be so crazy. Persist is an ability that was in Shadowmore Eventide, and the way that it worked was that a creature that had persist when it went to the graveyard, if it went to the graveyard with no minus one, minus one counters on it, it would return back to play with a minus one, minus one counter on it. 
So the idea here is that normally when a creature dies, it would come back a little weaker, and then when it dies again, it's gone finally. Except if you have this thing in play, you just pay one and two life, or one and black, to take the token off of it, and when it dies again, it just comes back to play again with another counter on it, which you then just take off again, and when it dies, it just keeps coming back. And there's some pretty crazy uh, uh, persist effects, and they all have to do with come into play. So it's kind of nice being able to, like, technically if they don't, like, exile it, you can get your card back four times. Yeah, and some of them allowed you to just basically sacrifice the creature to, like, do a disenchant, and it comes back into play with an effect, or with a uh, minus one, minus one token on it. So you just basically pay two life and a mana, and you take it off and just do disenchant again. I can see the two of them together just ruining artifact and enchantment decks. When you guys think about a junk scraper, whatever that card's name is, the one one, the zero one that gets plus one plus one for every artifact in your graveyard. Uh, Scrap Metal Fiend. He's probably going to show up in Affinity decks uh, as a late game card because even if it's in your opening hand, you probably won't hold on to it. But late in the game, after you've sacrificed a lot of your artifacts to the Ravager, if you haven't killed your opponent. You're probably only going to have one land left anyway because you sacrificed so much stuff. He's going to be a great card to just throw down and be like, well, there's 20 cards in my graveyard, so there's a 20-20. I can see him as a one or two of in standard Tezzer decks, especially like Forge Master decks. The problem there, though, is he's red. Well, yeah, whenever I ran Forge Master, I did it through Grixis colors. Ah, okay. Either way, he's got some applications. Um, I think he's gonna—he's another one of those cards. I think they're actually printing a lot of cards lately that are, gonna, that are impacting older formats interestingly enough, as well as the current block. Green has a pretty good spell called Fresh Meat, which is interesting. Best named card I've seen in a while. Very creative. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to Wrath of God, and I'm going to lose all my dudes, and I've got all these tokens you're going to kill off? All right, well, I'm going to cast the spell and get through three beasts for everyone you kill. Well, it'd be good for my token commander deck. Oh, no. It's going in my Leyline deck, because it's the proper colors, too. Well, thanks for joining me for episode 20. Voice serve. Thanks for having us, I guess. You're welcome. Whee! Always a pleasure. So the big so question is, what are you going to call it? Dinner. Yeah, we didn't really come up with anything during the actual show. I don't know. You have suggestions? <laughs> the big shiny disco ball. There you go. Disco balls. Let's keep it singular, please. We <laughs> could call it the spoiled ball. Oh, that's pretty good too. Anyhow, my girlfriend came with tacos. I'm gonna eat some tacos. <laughs> enjoy your, t- enjoy your girlfriend's tacos. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I will. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right, night, guys. All right, well, take it I'll easy. Later. Play you later. That's it for episode 20 of the Voice of Seraphim. I'd like to thank my co-host Eldritch Song and our guest Avenged Fracture and Dark Worship for joining us this week. Members of the clan can join us for the next recording of The Voice of Seraphim on Saturday, April 23rd at 9 p.m. Seraphim time. Until next time, this is Dicax. You've been listening to The Voice of Seraphim. <laughs>